Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. This morning, many people are waking up feeling the weight of an almost unthinkable legal decision, the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, which would radically restrict abortion access. It would be the completion of a 50-year campaign that has chipped away at women's rights. Elected leaders seem impotent. The streets are calling and activists are pondering what more radical tactics might be called for. Our guest, Clevon Smith, explores these kinds of tensions between radicals and reformers in his new play, The Incrementalist. The work is informed by Smith's own history as a child in Mississippi, a Navy officer, and an English professor at Berkeley City College. He joins me in the studio after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're joined this morning by Clevon Smith, an Oakland playwright who teaches English literature at Berkeley City College. He's the author of a new play, The Incrementalist, produced by the Aurora Theatre Company. It's up through May 15th. It explores the conflicts that different black people encounter as they seek the full recognition of their humanity amidst the complexities of life and the struggle against institutional racism and police violence. It's also a story of intergenerational communication, joyous queer love, and the compromises and comforts of making it as a black public intellectual. Thank you so much for joining us, Clevon. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Um, as you sat down to write this play, what were you seeing going on around you in Oakland and Berkeley in the East Bay that you knew you wanted to try to work through in this play? Actually, the play started with what was going on in Mississippi. Uh, it was... I was downtown and just watched Hamilton, and I came out of uh, the theater and went to BART, turned my phone on, and got all of these flashes. I was getting hit up by, what's going on in Mississippi? What's going on in Mississippi? And and at the time, it was the ICE raids um, and, um, and uh, the separation of families, and it was, I... You know, it, it hit me big time, and I, I was just thinking, what is going to be my response to that? Mm-hmm. And so uh, the character, Thomas, in the story begins, uh, was actually me, in some ways, uh, responding to that. And, 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 and how do I, uh, you know, speak to what's happening there? And then I, like, I went down the rabbit hole, and, like, how is it going to be responded to? And um, and so I'm 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 getting to the question eventually, but it was really a response to that, uh, and eventually it turned into then a couple months later we had uh, George Floyd, uh, and and so that became the center the centered uh, conflict, uh, and uh, the story became a lot more uh, Afrocentric. Uh, from there, but uh, the beginning of it was this idea of you know values over ideology, which is the which is the book that Thomas in the play <laughs> has written. And what do you mean by that when you say values over ideology? So 
like I said, I'm from Mississippi, grew up in a small town. I was in the military. I have a lot of close, close, close friends who are on both sides of the aisle, as they say, both, you know, uh, Democrat, Republican, left, right, conservative, liberal. And um, and I just saw what was happening in Mississippi at that time to contradict the values of the people that I am so close with and literally love in my home state. And I just felt like that was, you know, like that policy, that action was an expression of some kind of ideology and it did not represent the values of the people that I knew uh, very well. Yeah. I mean, what is it like to have come to one of the most liberal places in the country, probably the most liberal place in the country, and you've got all these people who are back on the in northern Mississippi, right near Tupelo. That's kind of that's Correct, where you yeah. grew up, right? Um, how, how do you understand this as one country? <laughs> you know, something I think a lot of people are wondering about uh, today. How do you understand this as one country? I think it's really difficult, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about it because it is so difficult and uh, we're grappling with this and we're forced to grapple with it uh, in the sense of like one country. Um, But I guess I don't have a great understanding of it. All I do know is, uh, and I was just thinking about this, um, I remember going home, you know, several years ago and being greeted by someone who, um, who I knew pretty well. I didn't know that well, but I knew their, their, their siblings. And he had this, you know, like this white white guy, and he had this big Confederate flag on his T-shirt. He came and gave me the most sincere hug, welcome home kind of hug. Uh, and it was 10 times more sincere than the general bro hug that I may receive, you know, down the block. And it was just that kind of, um, you know, that contradiction in that particular moment, uh, which I have, you know, I've at times I've, embraced it. At times, I've tried to distance myself as far as possible from it. But um, I am more comfortable with loving it and hating it at the same time. You know, you also had another experience that I'm, I'm totally fascinated by. You were a naval officer. So you leave Mississippi, you go to the Naval Academy, you become an officer, and you end up on an aircraft carrier where you're one of the few black officers, but there's hundreds of black enlisted men. And yes. so you've got this other hierarchy of power in play alongside the racial one. How, how did you deal with that experience? I mean, what, what I don't, I, never having been on an aircraft carrier, I can't even imagine what that is like. I, I dealt with it as best I could. It was fun in a lot of ways. Um, I spent a lot of time at the enlisted club rather than the officers club. Um, I, yeah, but it, it, I was really conscious uh, of who I was, what I represented as an officer on board the ship, uh, what it meant to uh, the black enlisted guys on the ship uh, and what they meant to me. And um, I, I think we were able to forge a kind of brothership, a brotherhood that um um, was unique to the military that I have held, you know, in all these years since. Did they push you though? I mean, were yeah. they sometimes like? Yeah, absolutely. And what can do you remember any specific examples of where you, you were like, "Listen, I'm an officer. I have to do this," and they're like, "No, you're a black man. You have to do this." Uh, you know, actually, it was a little bit on the other end. You know, it was like their expectations, their pride in me. Uh, And being in the position that I had, uh, they had higher expectations of me than I think that some of my uh, fellow white officers had. 
uh, they were like, were more likely to say, no, you can't come to the enlisted club. Uh, not because we don't want you there, but because we want you to keep your nose clean. Um, and so that happened quite a bit. Uh, and then there was a lot of, you know, trash talking whenever I tried to go down to, uh, to the, you know, down below and, and, and play space or something like that. Then a lot of, you know, the sleeves were pulled up and the, the shots were thrown. Yeah. I want to talk about the path from that to playwright, which seems like quite, um, quite a turn from naval officer to playwright. When, when did you decide that you wanted to go into theater? Um, two things happened. Uh, another classmate of mine from the Naval Academy um, is here in the Bay Area, uh, Bernadette Quatrone. She was acting. Uh, I had seen several of her plays at Impact Theater. And uh, we were out one night, and I think, I can't remember the movie we saw, but um, I mentioned something about like writing for, uh, for the screen. And, and she challenged me. And she challenged me, why don't people ever say writing for the stage? And I thought about that, and I thought about what that meant, and, and that was interesting. And then I had another uh, colleague at Berkeley City College, Robin Brooks, and I had invited her to do a couple of lectures on drama writing uh, because I didn't have that experience, and she challenged me. She's like, well, one of these days we're going to get Mr. Smith to apply for Playground. And um, and the next year I did, and, and it was by accident, but it turned out to be the best move I could have made. Yeah. We're talking with Clevon Smith, playwright whose current play, The Incrementalist, is at Aurora Theatre Company in Berkeley through May 15th. He also teaches English literature at Berkeley City College. Have you seen The Incrementalist? Uh, it's been up for a couple weeks now. What did you take away from it? And what do you think about the tension between incremental and radical change when it comes to confronting systemic injustices? Particularly, have you ever debated it among family or friends? The number is 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. You know, we were looking at your uh, website, um, and you have a, a line from August Wilson's Joe Turner's Come and Gone. And the line is, my daddy called me to him, said he had been thinking about me, and it grieved him to see me in the world carrying other people's songs and not having one of my own. Told me he was going to show me how to find my song. I wonder why that quote is significant to you. I think uh, I spent a lot of my time growing up, first generation, post Jim Crow uh, South, um, trying to fit in. Um, my parents didn't live in either of the black communities, you know, um, uh, you know, and definitely was not white. Uh, and trying to um, yeah, trying to carry other people's songs to make them comfortable was uh, something that I lived through for a long time. And um, and through playwriting, I, I think I found my song and uh, that liberation in and of itself uh, really resonated when I saw Joe Turner's Come and Gone at the, at, uh, the Lorraine Hansberry Theater, you know, like mm -hmm. a decade or two ago. You know, you teach English literature at Berkeley City College. All kinds of kids go there. Mm -hmm. um, what are you learning from them? Well, I learned from them from the beginning that the California that I had originally wanted to come to, uh, that's where I first found that California. When I was in Japan and I was getting orders back to the States, I was in a little crisis. I didn't know where I wanted to go. I, know I, I knew I didn't want to go back to black and white America. 
um, and I wanted to go to some place that was a, a lot more diverse. And, uh, and some friend at some party was like, you got to go to California. And um, and for me, California was, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge and, um, you know, like, you know, some beach in L.A. were like five <laughs> miles apart. I didn't know. But I got to California and I, and I came out during the boom of the dot com. And and I just never found the California I was looking for until I went to a community college uh, and uh the first generation, multiple generation, you know, all income brackets, all ages. It was it was the first place where I found community in California. It's the only place I found true community in California. And that's among the students and the professors. Mostly the students. Hmm. Mostly the students. Our uh, the the faculty don't represent the students. You know, um, you know, just like anywhere else. You know, unfortunately, uh, so it's mostly in the classroom. Yeah. We're talking with Clevon Smith, a playwright whose current play, The Incrementalist, is up at the Aurora Theater Company in Berkeley through May 15th. You were just hearing him talking about how what he loves about teaching English literature at Berkeley City College. And again, we'd love to hear uh, from you. How are you feeling this morning about the tension between incremental and radical change? You can give us a call, 866 733 6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Cleavon Smith, playwright whose current play, The Incrementalist, is up at the Aurora Theater Company right there in downtown Berkeley through May 15th. Why don't you give us the setup for the play, Cleavon? What's what's this play? Who's in it? And what's it about? Well, there's been some, uh, well, there's a police brutality of, of uh, a student from the Black Student Union. And, uh, and Nina is the vice chancellor of student affairs. And uh, she has a friend from her former, you know, undergrad years, Thomas, who's just written this book called Values Over Ideology, um, Difficult Conversations in a Post-Trump America. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and they are trying to set up some kind of response to that uh, that is fitting to their personalities. And uh, they're meeting up with some resistance from uh, the members of the, some of the executive officers from the Black Student Union, RAS, 
and uh, Miriam who think that uh, Nina and Thomas's response is just a little bit too slow for the moment. Hmm. One of the fascinating things about this play is watching four different black characters try and navigate. The kind of they're, they're after a lot of the same things, it seems like, but their methods and tactics are really quite different, all four. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and uh, that, I think, is kind of a, is becoming a reoccurring theme in some of my plays. Um, but it's just how do we recognize each other? How do we recognize that we are after the same thing and uh, honor and respect and appreciate our different paths toward that uh, without feeling like you're taking one path and my taking another path somehow compromises one of the others? Mm-hmm. One of the things that's also really interesting about this play is that it came about as part of like a, a special program within the Aurora yes. Theater Company that lets you develop it with other people within that company, as well as you know, really kind of deep interactions with the the actors who are who are in the play. I wonder how their perspectives on these four characters changed the way that those characters sort of approach each other. Like, did they say like? Raz needs to be way more radical or like Miriam needs to do this. Like how did they see themselves reflected in or not these characters? Yeah. Um, that process with the Aurora theater company was uh, phenomenal. Uh, and I'm really grateful for it uh, because we had the actors come together we did table reads, we did workshops and um, yeah. And, and, and very much so their perspectives impacted the story, their questions that they had. And um, it was more of like, if this is happening, I wonder why they have gotten to this particular place and what has gotten them to this place and in respect to this other person. So their questions were critical. Uh, and, yeah, and they, and they challenged particular moments, but that's very typical in any workshop process. Yeah. You know, this play does have a, a moment in 1992 as well as 2022. Mm-hmm. I wonder how you see the change that has occurred in the world or not <laughs> during during those 30 years. So initially, the, the point of that was just to show um, the two older characters, their, their sense of themselves. Uh, I think um, we often, you know, like um, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, zealousness of, uh, of in our youth. There's, and, uh, and and how do we hold that through a lot of decisions and career moments that we have to take? Uh, so it was, you know, to be honest, it was much less about anything specific in 1992 and more as a way of kind of like positioning Nina in this present moment in reflection to who she was when she started uh, this journey. Mm-hmm. But how about yourself? How do you see 1992 for yourself? Oh, I um, I see, I see that I think I'm a lot more radical than I was in 1992. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, like I had the experience of going through, you know, the Navy and and seeing our, our response, you know, like our response in Kosovo versus our response in Haiti, um, you know, and 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 seeing those kinds of actions and and has. Uh, and and also being in the Bay Area, being um, having, and before that, being in Bahrain and interacting with individuals there who highlighted some of the what's problematic about some of the you know the ways our governments represent each other, um, 
so I find that I'm a, a, a lot more radical, you know, in my thought than I was in 1992. Mm. Um, and then that's kind of that's difficult in some ways because I, you know, I have friends who haven't necessarily been on that journey with me. Mm-hmm. And so when they interact with me, like, you know, I... I sometimes feel that they think, oh, you know, like he's going out to California and he's gotten, you know, liberal. But when, that is what happened, right? <laughs> but what happened was I've lived, yeah, you know, yeah. I've lived, I've experienced, I've interacted with other people. I've gotten out of my bubble. You know, being out of my bubble has made me more radical. Uh, interacting and, and, and having empathy for more people has made me more radical. Yeah, yeah. I've, I have very similar experience with my hometown as well. Um we're talking with uh, Clevon Smith, playwright whose current play, The Incrementalist, is at Aurora Theatre Company in Berkeley through May 15th. We'd love to hear from you. What societal changes have you been waiting on, been frustrated with, or things that have even gone in reverse during your life? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. You know, one listener uh, tweets, in theory, I think progress is more stable when it happens slowly. However, it seems that some groups have managed to take away 200 years of progress in a matter of 20 years. It's a catch-22 for progressives. Move too quick, radical, move too slow, things get reversed. Um, well, I, I think the story that we tell along the way is really important. Um, I, yeah. And so I, I, I totally, I understand that and I struggle with that myself. Uh, but I think the characters in the story, uh, especially Raz and Miriam, would say that um, move, moving, you have to be deliberate. And it can't just be, I think, uh, from their perspective, it can't be just like compromising for the sake of compromising. It has to be a lot more deliberate in uh, the steps and intentional in the steps that you're taking. Yeah. You know, Raz and Miriam are are also young lovers, Mm -hmm. in addition to being black student union leaders in this play. And they're living a kind of open queer love that would have been very difficult in most parts of this uh, country, or really most countries, for most of the uh, time. How do you, you really center their love for each other, and it's really very beautiful interaction uh, on, on stage between those two people. How did you think about having that, like centering that relationship so, so deeply in a play that, as I understand it, started out really about uh, Thomas and started out as kind of like a middle-aged intellectual, but really the heart of the play now is this, is this combination political and love story. I think part of that was because we, I think we tend to make black liberation much more masculine the story of black liberation is very masculine. And I think if we look at Black Lives Matter for, you know, for, you know, like, uh, you know, there is, you know, like women and queer women are at the head of that uh, and have been, you know, you know, Audre Lorde going back and, you know, from there. And so I just thought that it would be uh, dishonest, you know, to have this story and and not bring that into uh, into the interactions on stage and, and not having to reckon with that myself uh, and, and recognize it, uh, honor it, uh, investigate, research, you know, all, you know, like interact with it in ways that I hadn't before. Also let them take it, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> just run with the, with the words and, and 
the interplay on stage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and also I'll just add, you know, like, and it was kind of, uh, you know, recognition of, you know, family. Mm, that's nice. Well, given, given that in a moment, you know, we've been talking about the leaked draft of Supreme Court opinion that mm-hmm. would overturn Roe v. Wade. And I, if your timeline was anything like mine last night, filled with a lot of anger, a lot of anguish, a lot of people wondering you know, how we've gotten to this place. What do you think your play has to say to people who are contemplating really the whole range of options, radical, personal, electoral, philanthropic, moving to New Zealand, whatever, whatever people are, are thinking right now in response to this draft Supreme Court opinion? What does your play have to say to them? I, I think um, it speaks to, again, going back to being intentional and deliberate. And, um, and I think there have been many opportunities to, um, to enact in law things that uh, people were afraid of actually enacting uh, and, and just really resting on this one, uh, on this one court case, uh, the Supreme Court uh, ruling, uh, to avoid you know, doing the work uh, to ensure people have their rights. Uh, and so I think that's like, in my opinion, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure what the play says about that, you know, to be honest, uh, but I just know from my particular uh, perspective, I think Miriam, actually I go back to the play, I think Miriam and Rash would say, this is the outcome. This is what happens when you rely on incremental change and think that some gain that you've gotten is the end of the road. But that gain is is a step, you know, towards, you know, like you have to take the next step. You can't stop right there. Yeah. The step that, you know, Raz keeps saying she wants the world or people or the administration or institutions is to recognize their full humanity. Right. She's just like, mm-hmm. they're like, I would like my full humanity recognized. For Raz, what, what, what would that look like? I think for Raz, what that would look like, you know, it would, yeah, um, as, a, as a mouthful, to be honest. And I'm not sure if I can even answer or begin, you know, I can begin to answer that. But I think for, for Raz, that would look, you know, like it would, you know, like it would be a recognition. It wouldn't be an, an erasure of a lot of the biases that are that exist. It wouldn't be some utopian society in which, you know, like none of that existed. It would just be a place in which you could talk about it directly and it could be recognized directly. And rather than having to go through, you know, like jump, you know, do gymnastics just to get someone to say it's possible that there may be a bias in that interaction. Um, so for, I think Raz would just like people to be more honest. Um, and, and in that honesty, that honesty is the recognition of the humanity. Do you feel like there are places where you have had your full humanity recognized? There have been places, there have been moments, you know, and, and I wouldn't say maybe not my full humanity because, you know, like I, you know, like I, I am a father, I'm a son, I am all these different things. Uh, but there have been moments where I felt like um, I wasn't the politicized me. 
Uh, and most of them, they're mostly, you know, intimate spaces. Um, and, you know, going back to like what I was sharing in Bahrain, that was one of those moments where I was just in conversation with this guard. And, uh, and he was just, he was wondering why was I at this uh, Museum of the Quran, uh, considering that, you know, I'm not, I don't practice Islam. And I told him, well, it was either here or a bar. And then through that conversation, we just started talking about stereotypes that he had gotten about Americans. And, and I shared, you know, we went back and forth. And it was funny. And then it just kind of broke down, in which he, you know, basically had two daughters, twin daughters who were under two. And, and he just broke in tears just thinking about how other people could, could hate his daughters without even knowing them. And in, in that moment, it was just like, oh, you know, like here we are, just two people, you know, trying to be as best we can possibly be. So those moments, but it took really breaking down. It took, you know, like it took a little humor and it also took just us being honest with each other and refusing to accept the other as we had been told to accept the other. Let's bring in uh, caller Norbert in Oakland. Norbert, welcome to the show. Hello there. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Go ahead. Oh, well, I just got in to listening to the show late, but I really appreciate it. I'm a 74-year-old actor and writer, so uh, I greatly appreciate... Uh, now, what, who, what is the name of the... Yeah, Clevon Smith. Clevon? Yeah, Clevon. Yes. yes, sir, Clevon. Uh, one of the things that I found in life that as you just indicated about your experience overseas, that when you are overseas, when you are exposed to other cultures, it gives you the opportunity to become more of your true self. Because sometimes when there are these uh, societal conditions on you that basically you didn't uh, develop, uh, it may be, limiting to you even though you don't realize it's limiting until perhaps you go to mm. an institution of higher learning or you travel overseas or all of the above and you experience some difficulties you have to experience some difficulties in life to step up to the challenge etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. so uh, anyway i just want to say Cleveland, best of wishes with all of your endeavors god bless hey, thank, thank you, you very, very much, much. <laughs> I, you know, I do worry, worry, think about, not necessarily worry about, but think about that you went through so many different kinds of societal conditions, right? I mean, mm -hmm. just post Jim Crow South, Naval Academy, Navy itself, and all, all those things now out here in the Bay Area. Do you find that those things have helped you find your sort of your, your actual self, whatever is there through all those different kinds of uh, restrictions and, and possibilities and societal conditions? Well, uh, yes, and I think it's, it's given me a lot of different opportunities to try out different selves as well. Um, and, I, you know, and, and then you start hearing when you're trying out these different selves, like, oh, this doesn't really hold true. This is, you know, takes a little bit more effort to maintain this. Um, but, yeah, I think each of these places I've gained something, I've taken something away that has helped me deal with, grapple with, accept, you know, my next step and my previous step. You know, 
In this play, a lot of the action also revolves around whether or not conversation and dialogue actually changes things or matters. How do you see that? Like a pu- public dialogue, public conversation, how do you, do you think it matters? I think it matters a lot. I think it matters a great deal. Um, you know, like shows like this, you know, or, you know, like one of the things that I've loved about Forum since I've been in the Bay Area um, is it, it gives a place where, uh, where like, the intent, the the goal is to have the conversation. It's not to win an argument. It's just to have the conversation, and 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 people are open to that, and people know that going in. So I think conversations, uh, dialogue does matter, and and just hearing other people's stories. Um, I think um, I've been a part of some story circles where I've learned a great deal. Uh, I've I have learned you know like a great deal about myself and what made me uncomfortable, what I appreciated in there. Sharing, and I've also learned a great deal about others and, and the places I've been through those dialogues. Yeah. I wasn't actually fishing for a compliment about Forum, but I will take it. And I do think it is something that really gets challenged on a day when you, on a day like today, you come into work and you think like, are we making a difference talking about these things? You And you kind of have to believe that you are. And yet it's not like we're changing the state houses in all these places you know we're not like getting rid of the electoral college like we're we're talking about it we're talking with Clevon smith playwright whose current play the incrementalist is up at aurora theater company in berkeley through may 15th he also teaches english literature at berkeley city college and we'd love to hear from you questions you have for Clevon smith about his life about the craft of playwriting and how you see the tension between incremental and radical change. The number is 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with Cleavon Smith, playwright who's current play, The Incrementalist, up at the Aurora Theater Company. So I want to ask you about some of the beliefs that you say animate your work. And one is really interesting. I'm just going to read it back to you. Uh, Quoting you, I recognize affinity and solidarity are not the same thing and that the difference between the two is the source of both conflict and a path to liberation. I want to hear more about that belief. I think, um, and I think that's one of the things that the play actually grapples with, um, the the fact that um, we have we share this affinity uh, w- through identity in this particular case. Uh, 
I don't think that, and I think the characters do share that affinity, but I'm not sure if they're in solidarity with one another. Uh, and, um, and just like I, you know, like I said, I think that's where it gets interesting. How do they find that solidarity? And in, in trying to grapple and, and, and find that solidarity, how does that um, lean into or compromise the affinity that they supposedly had uh, prior to um, that endeavor? So that affinity being like they're just they share some identity characteristics, but solidarity meaning they're sort of not working together. Is that is that how you read those things? Um, yeah, I, I I find that I, I see the solidarity as as actually working together um, to is is that's the work, uh, and so we can, and and then it. I think it it also kind of like opens us up to what affinity actually could be as well. Um, one of the things that uh, I found and a lot of, you know, I found, I'm not going to speak for other people, but I found to be a, a little bit problematic and, and somewhat offensive after George Floyd uh, was uh, these calling into affinity spaces for black theater makers. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and part of it was because it was as if, you know, we hadn't been calling ourselves into affinity spaces to begin with. Uh, and, and, and as if that's something that we hadn't already been exploring and trying to maintain and build. Um, but it was, you know, like, okay, well, and I think that has happened quite a bit in my professional career also. Um, as uh, a black educator, black male educator, there's this expectation that, you know, like put me in a room with a you know, with with a group of uh, black students, black male students, and then all of a sudden everything is going to be great and <laughs> and all the conditions are going to change and student success is going to skyrocket. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, the the idea that affinity and solidarity, they, they one may be like, okay, being, one's about the work. Did anything good come out of the black theater making spaces, though? Oh, absolutely. I think... Um, the fact that George Floyd happened during the pandemic, during the, in the very beginning of the pandemic, um, you know, theaters were shut down for the most part. And a lot of the, the obstacles for getting black theater makers together um, were disrupted, you know, because, you know, we weren't working at three different theaters. Uh, and so we were able to come into space, share, um, you know, and exchange ideas um, make some, you know, and, and, and do some visioning together. Uh, uh, and, and Margot Hall was uh, from the Lorraine Hansberry Theater was really integral in, in, in making that happen. Yeah. You know, in you, another one of your beliefs uh, that inform your work, um, quoting again, uh, I believe in theater as a space of dynamic, interactive inquiry, engagement, and meaning making. As a playwright, I center the question and honor the questioner. And for you, what are some of the most pressing questions right now in the play and, and beyond the play? I think we talked about it a little earlier um, is how do we work towards liberation in our different authentic ways and maintain a sense of uh, maintain that sense of affinity, uh, see each other, recognize each other, honor each other's work uh, and and not feel that um, your being your authentic self um, is a threat or a compromise to my being my authentic self. We also have a uh, 
comment coming in from Chris. Chris writes, education and experience do inform our compassion. I had a public education in the 70s that in addition to college prep included civics, Russian language, dance, and music. I lament that our children do not get the type of education that makes them thoughtful, active citizens with the ability to discern truth. I'm sad that our politics and courts do not reflect us regular people and the tools to have representation of our needs and values have been incrementally taken away, starting with our schools. I'd like to ask you, I'm not sure that the young people that you work with would say that they don't have the ability to discern truth. Um, What have you really experienced at Berkeley City College in the way that the young people that you're dealing with relate to the idea of of truth and the truth of the United States? Well, I remember a conversation I had with my mom. Uh, I hope she remembers it. Uh, I remember a conversation I had with my mom after a class uh, one day, and I was just thinking, like, wow, I had to go, I had to go to a different state, half the country away, then I had to go to Japan and go around the world to have as cosmopolitan of a view as my students have coming out of high school in Oakland and Berkeley at age 18 and 19. I, I, I think they, they live in a world that's so much more dynamic, so much more open and fluid. They're exposed to so much more than I was ever exposed to. So um, I would agree with you. I, I, I think what the challenge as uh, educators is, 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 uh, is capitalizing on that and and engaging with with their worldview, which is really really dynamic and which I think is uh, is rich. Uh, so yes, I, I, but there are challenges. Obviously, I don't, I don't think they're limited to young people. Uh, I think most of us are limit you know where we get our news, what we look for, what we listen to, what will what we will accept. So I don't think that's unique to young people today. Yeah, you know. One of the things that's fascinating about your play, wrapping back to it, is this this character of Vice Chancellor Nina. Such so interesting, right? Because she had long been trying to sort of make her way inside these institutions, mm. and then she gets into that position of power, and she has to figure out what am I going to do. Can you tell us a little bit about how how the play sort of embodies that uh, in in her person and in sort of the her her possessions of, in life. I think Nina is the kind of person who saw uh, ways in which the institutions were failing the students that she most identified with and, and took on the challenge of being an administrator to address that. Uh, and then also learning, oh, how to be most effective. And, um, and I think um, her efficacy, she will celebrate and acknowledge and, and, and think she should get praise for because she has done good work. Um, but that efficacy has been in a space of like, okay, I'll, I won't ask for this so that I can get this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and here's a moment where it's just like, uh, is the compromise itself, is that offensive? And is that like the wrong thing to respond, how, the w- wrong way to respond in this moment? That's, th- that's what she's grappling with. And that's what, you know, the students are challenging her with. Yeah. We're talking with Cleavon Smith, playwright whose current play, The Incrementalist, is up at the Aurora Theater Company in Berkeley. He also teaches English literature at Berkeley City College. What do you think about the tension between incremental and radical change when it comes to confronting systemic injustices? 
If you've been debating it among family and friends, you can give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or KQED Forum, or you can email forum at kqed.org. One of the fascinating things about this play is also that it's not politics happening abstractly between people who don't know each other. They're not like just debating on a stage. These are people who have like deep and long lasting relationships. And that makes it a lot harder in some ways for them to have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Like some guy off the street that we just ran into um, at some march and they don't quite completely agree with me. It's like, I can tolerate that. But we're close. We're supposed to be, you know, locking arms. And I think that's one of the things that Miriam says throughout the play. Uh, you know, we're supposed to be locking arms. And to lock arms, we've got to be by each other. You know, like in, you know, I know your audience can't see me, but I'm just kind of like making a fist and gripping. Um, yeah, it is harder when the people that you love and uh, respect and you think that you're like in complete alignment with when you find that they're not. Um, because to, in order to get them there, you may have to say things that are that may disrespect them or or in order for them to show why they're not, they may disrespect you. And 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 we try to avoid that as best we can. Yeah. How about in your own family? Do you find that as your beliefs have gone more radical over time, you have to go back and talk to your mom, your dad and say, I disagree with the way that you see this issue. <laughs> Actually, no. It's one of the things that I'm I'm really surprised by is, um, you know, and I and I think that's one of the things that I'm hoping that that I can eliminate in in, in the future stories is the ways in which we express radicalism. Um, I, my parents, I think, um, I grew up. My mom's a teacher. I, I grew up watching my mom you know, take radical action at the kitchen table, uh, tutoring kids in town, uh, calling people and saying, hey, you know, this is what we're trying to respond to, uh, taking radical action and, and, and just being really brave and bold and doing quiet things. Um, and so I, there's, I haven't shifted any of my values from the values that I, that I grew up with, not in the least. But do you feel like your politics have changed? If the underlying values are... Mm. Uh, yeah, great. Um, yes, my politics have developed, uh, but I don't think that my politics are at cross purposes with uh, my parents either. You know, like I grew up in a Catholic church in Mississippi, where I just I remember some of the uh, the homilies that uh, the the priest would give, and I was I'm like, now thinking back at it, I'm like, wow, you know, they they would be on the FBI list if they were saying that, you know, in the in, in you know in this century. Um, so my politics haven't changed. I think what has happened is like, I've kind of caught up with the politics that were introduced to me. Mm -hmm. This is a fundraising period for KQED public radio. For more information about how to support KQED, you can go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. So there have been select dates with post-show discussions, and there's a couple more coming up after the May 4th and May 12th shows. How have those gone? And what has the, both two questions, what has the audience been like? Like who's been wanting to see this play? And then what's the audience reaction been like? 
So I haven't attended any of the post-show discussions, actually. Uh, and Dominique Williams, the director, fabulous director and associate artistic director at um, Aurora, at the Aurora Theater Company, um, that's been an intentional choice of hers. Um, and, and, and part of it is because, you know, uh, sometimes it happens at those post-show discussions is gets into, like, why did this character do that? You know, and, and gets into rewriting kind of mode. And just kind of to avoid that, uh, but there are some coming up, and and but again, I'm sorry, I haven't attended any of the post show discussions. <laughs> As you can see that being kind of excruciating, to be honest. It has been. Yeah. I'm so grateful that I haven't asked. I haven't been asked to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's bring in caller Irma from El Cerrito. Hi, it's Irma. Oh, Irma. Sorry about that. Hey, thanks. I'm so excited to see the play. I got tickets for this weekend. I, too, am a playwright, and I deal with these same issues of communities of color not being seen as monoliths and our experiences getting represented on stage. Because so often, if you're a person of color, you're expected to stand in for your whole group. How often do I get asked, why did Latinos vote for Trump? (laughs) And my response is, why did women, white women, vote for Trump? We are... We have a lot of unique characters and communities within the black community, the Latino community, the Asian American community. So I'm glad to see a play with just black characters addressing these issues. Irma, how how do you work on that in your plays? Like, how do you make sure that you are representing the full breadth of a of a community? Well, by just giving different experiences. For example, you called me Irma. That's fine. You can't know how my name is pronounced. And my play is called Why Would I Mispronounce My Own Name? <laughs> um, a lot of people, and you recently had a, 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 a program and forum about people reclaiming their given names. Mm-hmm. But not all Latinos want to keep the Spanish or whatever pronunciation of the name they are given. And it's all okay. Yeah, true. And that's one very concrete and small example. Um, we need to be seen as the individuals we are. And yes, as broader communities, we do have interests very much in common across our communities. We don't want to be subjected to racist policies and practices. Yeah. I think we can all agree about that when you are in a community of color. Absolutely. Irma, thank you so much for that. Um, great and also very funny comment. Appreciate <laughs> your time. Um, do you want to respond to that, Cleveland? Yes, I, I, I agree with Irma's um, sentiment about, you know, like what it's, and that's all okay. Um, and then the end at the same time, you know, it's like, okay, my characters are individual uh and they don't have to accept themselves in some kind of monolithic way. And uh, they also have to grapple with the fact that nonetheless, um, there are moments outside themselves where they are seen as monolithic uh, representations. And how do they assert their individualism in with, you know, in that uh, in those in that context? So here's we uh, come to the end of our of our hour here. What do you hope people really take away from from your work? Maybe not even just this play, but the kind of your bigger project through time. I hope people take away from um, my work is an openness to um, to grapple with with the question, 
to maintain, you know, just to hold a question a little bit longer, to listen to the other a little bit more intently. Uh, and, and so that, you know, like we can come away with, uh, with, with deeper, like real relationships rather than, you know, like placard relationships. I, I don't relate to the placard that you have on your window. I relate to the way in which you live and interact in the world. So what's your next uh, project, do you think? <laughs> My next project. You're in it already. That <laughs> looked like I'm in it already kind of face. <laughs> I am in it already. I'm, I'm working on, uh, with Walking Cinema, uh, working on a, a podcast uh, featuring the relationship between uh, Howard Thurman and Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and uh, in this moment where uh, Thurman meets King at the Harlem Hospital after he's been stabbed on his uh, book tour. And when do we think that might go up or be? Uh... Uh, this fall. I'm hoping that it will be up this fall. Wow. And it's going to be available as a podcast, like an audio play. Yes. Oh, wow. That seems to be a thing that people are now doing more and more, yeah? Yeah, they are. I mean, the pandemic really opened things up a lot. And um, and it's taken us back to, like, our roots in some ways, you know, the audio drama. <laughs> yeah, right. Creating thunder with a metal sheet. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We've been talking with Cleavon Smith, a playwright whose current play, The Incrementalist, is up at Aurora Theatre Company in Berkeley through May 15th. You can go to one of those uh, sessions where there's an after show discussion. Cleavon will not be there, but you can talk with the uh, director and the cast. Cleavon also teaches English literature at Berkeley City College. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Alexis Madrigal, and stay tuned. Thank for you for having hour. me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. 
Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.